Well, the people that want that can organize and collectivize and create that them for themselves. You know, if if you don't want that, you just have to have an opportunity to leave. Because we all are one state now, and and all the people that raided the Capitol building on January six. You know, a lot of them are waving Trump flags, but a lot of them are waving American flags. There's still some value to a lot of people on both sides of the aisle of, of considering themselves American. I think by just giving that up, you essentially waste some collectivized capital. podcast episode 29 today we have two special guests joining us here we have mathematician and data scientist and new york jets fan jack epstein along with environmental scientist turned esg consultant and lifestyle influencer henry mason (laughs) (laughs) thanks for having me on the pod absolutely i'll let you guys uh introduce yourselves if you want to add any more bio than that but um Nailed it. 10 out yeah, of 10. Well, no notes. Cool. So today, um, topic of conversation, we want to start off with uh, just a general question and theme of, is the United States too big as a country and does it make sense to divide it in any other way um, and have different sections governed separately? Is it possible? It doesn't make sense and should we consider it in any way? Um, I don't know where you guys want to start off and who wants to take it from there, but if anyone has an argument I, for I'll, why that... I'll start. Yeah. Well, first, so let me just say thank you guys for joining. Uh, I respect you both so much. So if anyone's listening to this uh, in the event that it gets heated, and it will get heated, just remember <laughs> we, we are all very good friends. <laughs> and uh, our friendship is not in question uh, after all the attacks and the vitriol is spewed towards each other. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, we're living in a time where I think it's actually really exciting because, uh, some of the most tyrannical governments in the history, in history, uh, lead to oftentimes some of the most best opportunities for, uh, a breakaway of a a green shoot of freedom, um, which was the start of this country, the United States of America. And I think we're looking at conditions that are exactly mirroring the ones that we left in 1776 uh to to start our own nation um and the foundation of that nation has been strayed from very far and so i think that the question becomes or actually it's not a question of what should we do to to fix this government i think that it's beyond that point i think all that can be done is you have to let people make their own decisions and most and the most important decision to make is to what rules do you subject yourself to be ruled by um and in order to do that you have to relinquish control over people and so what i'm talking about is relinquishing control of all the states of all the groups of people across the country urban versus rural state versus state you know there's all sorts of divides that people from one area shouldn't be telling a person from the other area what they should be doing and so uh, I, I think we're beyond the point of what can be done to unify us, but it's more of just like the moral point of you can't tell people what to do to the point where you're going to force them to listen to you. Uh, let me just add, uh, John, they already agreed to come on the show, so you can stop being nice to them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> already got yeah. in the door. Um, I think that was a, a good summary for... Uh, also to clarify, I don't know if we mentioned this, but like, John and I are sort of on the same side of this, and um, Henry and Jack, I mean, I don't know if you have strong opinions about the subject, but you tend to differ from us politically, so we just thought it'd be interesting for you guys, since we both re- uh, respect your intelligence and can give us you know, countering viewpoints potentially to this topic. Yeah, yeah I can appreciate it. Um, yeah, first of all, thank you for having us. I think we can all agree with the statement that the U.S. probably has gotten too big. Like, there are two countries in the world that are bigger than the U.S. in terms of population, and I would not say that either of them are prime examples of how to run a country, whether you're talking about (laughs) China or India. You know, one is 
quite literally run by a communist government. The other just struggles with providing good infrastructure for a billion people. Um, I think where Henry and I disagree with your general premise is more just around the idea that there can't possibly be any sort of centralization. And I think given that, I, I do think the general idea of breaking everything up into such small, you know, locally governed units of people, um, it's, it is pretty extreme and, you know, I would argue it's not entirely pragmatic. So I think we probably want to just find out more of the details of what you have, because in theory, just telling people, yeah, like, don't like wipe our hands clean. Don't tell anyone what to do does sound good. And like, there's a lot of that to like, um, it's when you kind of think about, well, what does, you know, the government currently do that maybe people don't appreciate, you know, in terms of infrastructure, research and development, all that. Um, that's just more questions that I would be curious to hear how you guys think those problems can be handled, whether, you know, it's private sector, public sector, whatnot. Yeah. You know, I think we'll have a really interesting discussion about how you actually want to, to implement this, um, not get too into the weeds, but I think there's a lot of interesting questions that, that kind of get raised by this. I, I do want to, I think maybe a good place to start, uh, challenge your assumption, your kind of assertion a little bit there that we're in a, a situation that mirrors 1776, um, where you know, the revolution at that time, right, was was a, a, a bunch of colonies rebelling against the government that claimed, you know, representation by proxy, right, where, where all the members of parliament just, you know, were assigned to represent the United States despite potentially never having been there, right? Um, what we have here is a situation where in which very, very few people that are United States citizens, with the exception of places like D.C., uh, Puerto Rico, are, are truly represent, are taxed, you know, without representation or, or really kind of, you know, have power levied upon them without representation. So in this case, you know, I, I think it's more of a case of people just, just fundamentally disagreeing so much on such core issues that, that you know, they care about that it's, it's causing kind of the fracture we're seeing today. And I think it's a really important distinction to make because it's more people deciding, you know, should, should people choose to secede in large numbers? That's more of a decision of, I think my positions are so irreconcilable with yours that, you know, despite having a system in which I am represented, and in many cases, you know, overrepresented, there are large parts of the populations that are overrepresented in our system. Um, for those people to leave because they can't have all the policies they want, is, I think a, a separate discussion. Um, than then a, a group of colonies deciding that they are universally, you know, not represented to the same degree. Um, yeah, so I would say on the issue of representation or saying um, that this is not similar to 1776, to me, uh, having D.C., where everyone meets in Congress, make rules for Texas, Wyoming, California, like all these places are actually pretty far apart from each other and pretty culturally different, I would say is similar in the sense where it's like, yeah, they are Americans, but it's kind of, that's to the same thing to say, okay, you have Britain who knows nothing of the culture of America and they're making rules from a far away di distance that, again, there was no say uh, back then in 1776, like the whole ta no taxation without representation. And yes, you could argue like Americans have representation, but in a lot of ways, it doesn't feel like we do. Like I vote libertarian and they never win at anything. So you might say, yeah, I'm represented because I can vote, I cast my vote for libertarian, but it, do it doesn't really feel like I am because I know it's completely futile to cast this vote for libertarian every year because it's, it's just never gonna, it's never gonna cash out, I guess. Yeah, I guess my I, and, question there is, or John, well, you go ahead. Yeah, if I could add one thing. Um, and it, and <clears throat> when you talk about representation, um, like, I think true representation in our current government isn't even possible because we have a citizenry who doesn't even, can't, couldn't even pass a, a basic, like, competence of what well not it's not competence because everything the government does is incompetent so to, to kind of study it to, st to study what i'm saying is for people to study what the government does is just a waste of time so they don't even know the bells and whistles that are going on behind the scenes and that's not to mention like what they do with monetary policy what they do with all sorts of things that this the average the average person probably has no idea of so when you're talking about representation oh you have a vote you have a senator you have a congress you know it's like well do you realize that you're not represented in probably the most important office which is the office of the federal reserve 
you have no representation there and they're making decisions on a daily basis or on a quarterly basis, I guess you could say, that directly impact your bank account's purchasing power. Stuff like that is like, if people truly understood that, to the extent that people do understand that, they want to opt out. And the people that don't necessarily want to opt out, they don't understand that. So it's like, how, how can you say that person is represented in that, that conglomerate? <clears throat> well, you know, we don't have a direct democracy like, like India, right? We're, we're, we're representative republic, essentially. And, you know, I, I think when you, when you talk about people having their interests represented, you know, you bring up immediately the example of, of the Fed, right? And how it affects people's bank accounts. That actually might not necessarily be the, the main issue for everyone. It's certainly among the most important issues for essentially everyone, right? But there are certainly people that care more about other issues than, than inflation, right? And, and, how, and, and their wealth. Uh, and certainly people make decisions every day that, that kind of forego their wealth in, in favor of other factors, right, in their life. Um, you know, what we have right now is, is, you know, the people who are, you know, don't have the time or the means, theoretically, to be aware of all these issues, elect a representative who, who should be. And I think a lot of, you know, due to, in, in part, in large part, you know, a poor informational ecosystem in the U.S. and a poor ability of Americans on the whole to, to kind of intake information and analyze it, um, and critically, we have elected a lot of representatives that, that probably don't have a good understanding of those issues either. Um, so, you know, I, I think, again, we'll get to the details of how secession might work. But do you think that there's a way to, to remedy this in some way, right? It, I want to go back to Jeff's point about being a libertarian. You know, I think we'd all agree he's not represented. There's really no chance <laughs> a libertarian wins a presidential election at any point in the current system. With something like ranked choice voting, you know, where you theoretically could have a system that works a little bit more like some European Western European democracies, uh, where, where you have coalitions that have to be built among parties on different issues um, that are a bit more representative of the breakdown of the political leanings of the population. Is that something that, that you think, you know, do we have to take the immediate, like the step of succession, is that inevitable? Or do you think there are piecemeal improvements that can be made to the way our democratic system works that would, you know, make that no longer worth it on the balance, considering all the, the changes and sacrifices that would have to be made to succeed? Well, I, so I would agree that ranked choice voting is a better way of reflecting the choices or wishes of the people, but that doesn't necessarily do a better job of managing the government, right? So like if a lot of people are in favor of a $15 minimum wage, a ranked choice system might get that into place more quickly and, and efficiently. But if that's not something I'm interested in, or my community or whatever is interested in having enforced upon them, then that's not a desirable outcome. So even if it is more efficient, if there's a lot of people who we just simply don't want to be governed by the same rules, then it doesn't really matter. Like reflecting the people's choices more accurately doesn't necessarily fix the underlying problem. Why don't we stop for a minute and just uh, have someone define uh, ranked choice voting for the listeners. Sure. So uh, in ranked choice voting at a very high level, basically you, you would list out, um, should you want to, you can, you can still only put one candidate, but let's say there's a slate of five candidates. Jeff could put a libertarian one and a Democrat or Republican two. There, therefore, when his, when his libertarian vote, should it not succeed to, re, to reach the minimum percentage of the vote, his vote would then transfer, which makes him much more um, of a, a realistic proposition to vote for someone who might like a libertarian align more with just interests than a Democrat or Republican, therefore giving them a fair shot in election. And pe people would no longer have to make the, the kind of game theory decision of, do I vote my, my morals? Right. Or do I just choose the person who's most likely to win? Right. So it kind of uh, eliminates some problems that, that people mentioned, like, you know, a vote for a third party is a vote for Trump is something you heard in like the last election. So it kind of gets rid of the problems like that. And, uh, gives you a sort of list of preferences that can then be, uh, you know, layered into your vote as opposed to just throwing your vote towards one person, right? Someone right. actually told me a vote for libertarian is a vote for Biden. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so I've heard, actually heard both <laughs> well, versions of that. Right. It, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. It works both this ways, right? PR and marketing play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, to, piggy off, to piggyback off what Jeff said, I mean... To make, yes, there's ways to make voting more efficient and maybe re represent uh, majorities or individuals better. Um, but my, in my opinion, like the, the key aspect of why we're here and what, what I'd like to get to is 
if there's one person, right, if 99% of the population agree, oh, this is the best way, to, they find the most efficient way to come about the policy. But if one person feels like I don't want this imposed upon me, right, and they come to that person's door with a gun and say, no, this is, we all voted, you know, we did it really efficiently. <laughs> like, trust <laughs> us, we did it, very, like, it was the best way to vote. We did rank, you know, but if there's one person who said, no, I, I want to hire someone under $15 an hour and the person I'm hiring, he wants to be hired for under $15 an hour. You know, he's, he's will, he can't get any other work and I'm offering him a shot. You know, if I'm going to get put in jail for that, if there's just one person where that example is true, it's like the system is broken and, and that needs to be addressed before you address the most efficient way to elect uh, the, the governors. So I think it's important to have a discussion about what you see as the role of a government, because, you know, just I think we all agree that never in the history of mankind has, has a government or, or some kind of leadership organization existed that makes everyone happy, that is, that is ruled under them, right? Barring some kind of cult-like theocracy. Um, if, you, if your goal is to have every single person perfectly happy with the person who's making decisions for them, you essentially end up with everyone making decisions for themselves and themselves, themselves only. Even a so group I'll clarify. Two. I'll clarify. I, I didn't mean to say that everyone needs to be happy. It's just that everybody who wants to opt out, or like everybody who's participating, is doing so in an opt-in basis. Like you don't have to be happy about it, but you do have to make the decision yourself. If I wasn't participating in this system, I would be worse off, right? So there's still a voluntary measure, you know. It, and at the end of the day, you could say. Like the, the, the true measure of freedom, the true measure of liberty is at the end of the day saying, I don't like anything that's going on. I want to leave. And like, and you can't, which is not the case right now. If you're a citizen, you have to pay income tax. You have to follow, you know, EPA regulations, all this stuff. So that's the kind of thing that is scary because if you want to opt out and you can't, well, you might find you might just find yourself in a jail cell because that's the way our system works. Someone else voted that you have to do it. <laughs> Right. But I think we'd all agree there's a baseline value in having some set of laws, you know, rules that people can't cross. Right. Even if you'd really like, you know, in a very extreme example, to murder your neighbor, um, like we'd all agree it's a good thing that people can't unilaterally make that decision because it's best for them. So an extreme example, not extremely realistic in most cases. But I think where, where we'll differ politically, right, is that I think the core value of government is just to make people, right, I know the, the force people is going to really what, you know, be what sets you guys off, but really it's the force people make decisions that are, in, in the, you know, based on some analysis, better for the, the holistic population, right? And then a, a really easy example is something like cl climate change, right? Where a country that, in, 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 a, in a world example, right, a country that pollutes a lot, like Russia, that might benefit from climate change, um, having some way to bring them to the table and try to get them to reduce climate change, you know, in a way that benefits a lot of smaller island nations, a lot of areas in the U.S., right, especially in the Southwest, et cetera, um, that can be beneficial, right? And, and so, yeah, someone might not want to pay uh, their employee anything more than $5 an hour, and they may find a, a participant in the labor market who's desperate enough to accept that. The question is, like, long-term, that might create a brittle and, and unstable economic structure, right, where, where there's huge disparities in wealth, which ultimately limits total economic growth and the wealth of the country. Um, so I, having a government that's able to enforce some some kind of measures that, based on you know, all available evidence to us, are likely to improve the livelihood of, of people in general, even if particular groups, you know, may in fact be disadvantaged by that, you know, that law and that, you know, let's say wage, right? They may also be benefiting by laws that are, you know, force uh, flood, flood insurance companies to, you know, cover their house that was built before, you know, people knew what 100-year flood zones were. Um, I'll stop there, but I, th I think, you know, maybe debating what the purpose of the government is uh, and, and whether that's valuable is a good place to, to, to have this conversation. Well, so, yeah, I, I think we definitely disagree on the philosophy of, like, what is the government for? Um, but that's that's almost kind of my point, right, is we have a fundamental disagreement in, how, like, what is government? And that's kind of the issue here, right? Uh, and why we think secession makes a lot of sense. Um, see, like, my philosophy of a government is basically the purpose of a government is to protect you from other governments, basically. Uh, because essentially there is always this sort of threat, right? Let's say we there was no government and it was just pure anarchy. If I try to accumulate any sense of wealth, someone can just, if they get enough people together, they can just take it from me. So essentially it's this race to the bottom of no one can accumulate any wealth whatsoever because they know it'll just get taken from them by a, a bigger group of people. 
And so it's impossible to accumulate wealth when there's people out there who are free riding um, that production. And so essentially, if you get enough people together to say, you know, make sure no one else comes around and takes what we've built, then you've got some stability there where wealth accumulation can happen. Um, and that's basically all you want out of the government, because even that alone is much harder than a lot of people realize. Just having a government in itself that doesn't steal from you a tremendous amount and also protects you from other large groups of people who are going to steal from you, that alone is not common in the world. Like that's it, there's much more examples of it not happening that way. So I would say to me, that's really all I ask for government. And if it can get that done, man, we're, we're hitting the jackpot. We don't really need to push this uh, line any further. But whether or not that's the role of government, I don't even think is necessarily the relevant discussion here, because if that's how I view government and you view government as sort of a, a tool to achieve more sort of um, non-individualistic goals, oh, I guess. Less myopic outcomes. Sure. Yeah. That's a good way to phrase it. Um, then there's just kind of this philo philosophical disagreement. And when you're trying to essentially say, let's levy taxes for this thing, I'm generally ultimately going to be like, I don't think we should do that. I think, I think we should just let markets take care of it. And so because there's that sort of disconnect, that's why I feel it just makes more sense to have more options on the table where it's not like we're just back and forth, back and forth. I'm gutting all your policies. Then you got to bring them back in and put new people in. And it would just it's horribly inefficient if we're just battling over the uh, control in this way. For the sake of kind of moving forward a little bit, because I don't want to just get back and forth into like role of government mm -hmm. i kind of want to get into like the practical how would mm -hmm. this work so mm -hmm. you know let's go with the some people are going to want a bigger role of government some are not you know talking mm -hmm. about the opting in opting out um say we now do secede into groups i'm curious how you guys think about like borders and border securities because one of the things that i'm thinking about is a potential flaw and you know correct me if i'm wrong is that you set up these kind of micro states some decide, oh, we want to have, you know, stricter immigration laws. We want to build a wall around our own little country. Then you're kind of eliminating that option for people to opt in or out. Um, so you're almost kind of recreating the problem in which you tried to initially solve. So how do you, within the realm of what is the current United States, kind of get that, solve that problem? And I'd, I'd just like to add, just Jeff, based on kind of what you said you're looking for out of a governor, right? So you want mm -hmm. to protect your interests against foreign governments, right? You want to let you build mm -hmm. wealth. Right. Two points. One, do you think a diminished United States that is broken up and fractured into smaller portions is less able to defend your economic interests against, let's say, China or some other large state actor? Two, with the problem that Jack has brought up about, you know, what do the trading blocks look like within what is formerly the United States? If you don't, if you only have some kind of free trade agreement, you don't have a common market where, where there's no barriers to the movement of labor, or capital goods, is it, that also would seem to impede your ability to create wealth uh, on a large scale. Yeah, so those are two great points. Um, I 100% agree. The biggest downside to decentralization is this power vacuum, right? If we are decentralized and there is a very nefarious actor out there that's much more powerful than us, um, that is a threat if we can't ally together. However, I would point out in World War II, Germany was a, a powerhouse and a very big nefarious actor we didn't have to form one government in response to it. We just formed alliances and that proved to be effective. So I think we could still secede into multiple nations and have an alliance ship with one another um, to prevent threats like that. Um, I also think we could have free trade agreements. Some nations, you're right, will do silly things like tariffs and protectionism and close their borders and all sorts of things like that. And essentially what they'll have done is isolate their economy from everyone else. And that will lower not only their standard of living, but ours as well, because the more trade, the more wealth we can all build together. It's always good to have more trade. And so, yes, this there is this possibility of 
creating friction to trade. That's certainly possible. But I think we're already seeing symptoms of that in our economy in absence of government, right? So we have something like Amazon Web Services saying we're not going to host Parler um, because we disagree with them politically. So it wasn't any government that made them made that make that decision. They've already sort of done isolationism from people they don't like in an economic way. So I don't necessarily think having one country will keep trade open because trade across borders or trade between within the borders, it's all the same. It's there's the the distinction is arbitrary. And so what happens when like the nations or microstates with the most wealth are the ones who decide to be the most protectionist while the ones who still who want the free trade agreements, maybe the ones who are most reliant on it. And then like, you know, going back to the Amazon parlor example, Amazon's not getting going to get financially hurt in the short term from the parlor or uh, parlor decision. Maybe they will one day, but it doesn't appear that they, they're going to regret this too much from just a bottom line standpoint. So like mm-hmm. what is preventing them from doing that again? I mean, not, nothing's preventing Amazon, uh, much like nothing would prevent uh, one of these microstates from doing such a thing. And it's unfortunate if they do, but also is it is it just for us then in that sense to invade them, take them over, install a new government that is free trade just because these people aren't willing to trade with us? I don't think that justifies that, that action. And so... Like, let me pose an example to you, or a, a hypothetical. Let's say all the land in Texas, for example, was all privately owned. And every single one of these private landowners got together and they said, we all agree, we're going to make our own government. We're not paying uh, taxes to the federal government anymore. Is the federal government justified then to say, you owe us this money, invade them and say, pay us or we'll kill you? Or is that... Do they have that legitimate right to basically say, we all got together and we don't we don't want to be a part of your your group anymore? So I, I would say when you when you're a part of government, you, you've entered into and it might not be by your choice. You're likely born into it. But you've entered into a social contract to to pay taxes for certain goods. Um, the people doing this in this in this scenario is hypothetical, right? Are are still utilizing public goods. Um, that the federal government has, has invested into, right, with, with the money they got in the past and the money they expect, the cash flows they expect in the future from your taxes, right? And then they've issued debt, on, you know, backed by that essentially. So um, they have, essentially, you know, very kind of boiled down, they almost have a business interest in having you continue to pay taxes um, because there was an understanding that you would continue to do that as you utilize the public services they provided. Uh, I don't think it's likely the government would ever physically invade. There's, you know, the United States government, as most of the world probably knows by now, um, has a lot of economic levers, uh, soft power levers, et cetera, et cetera, that can, you know, pull to make people do what they want. That is problematic, certainly. Um, it could be utilized in a very negative way for the world. Um, I don't think there's ever a scenario in which they invade a, a U.S. state because people unilaterally decide to stop paying taxes. But I think almost certainly they, they would do that. Is it moral? Um, I, you know, I, I think if your you know, definition of morality is, is people upholding agreements they've made, then, then it is, I think, would be justified to, like, you know, get what, what basically is due, right, in, in their view. Now, I understand the viewpoint of people who wouldn't want to pay taxes and, and essentially would think that they're being invaded for, you know, basically because they refuse to be subjugated anymore. But I think it ignores the fact that they've been using government services their entire life, right? Um, even though that wasn't by their choice, you know, that's a choice that was made, you know, by, by their ancestors who owned that land before them. Um, so that, that, that would be my response to that. The idea yeah, I think of, the chain of, of events public... that would lead to that happening, or, uh, the chain of events that would lead to the United States government invading, in this case, Texas, to me is so far um, that, you know, yeah, I would even want to say maybe that is immoral for them to just full on invade. But I think without having to go to that, like, such far linear extreme, I still think that there is some, like Henry mentioned, like a social contract that everyone buys into. And yeah, you probably, the more diplomatic way is to you know, make people realize what they're getting out of that social contract before you attack them for it. And I think, I mean, maybe I'm being optimistic. I would hope more people get something out of that rather than just continue to resort down this kind of 
what Henry and I would argue is a slightly foolish path, but um, you know, maybe others disagree. Well, the the idea um, to kind of respond to the point of what would make uh, microstates continue to want to trade with each other, it's like, well, what's going to be different from then and now? Like, what what does the U.S. government currently do to force people to trade with Texas or trade in between states? They don't do anything, you know. It, it just happens because it's in everyone's best interest. So in the event that it's actually separate states, there's nothing it, nothing changed in terms of incentive. It just changed in terms of names. And as long as you don't get like, as long as like nationalistic tendencies don't get in the way, you're not going to face any kind of uh, change of incentive where you, you're not going to want to trade in, in that event. Well, I would argue that that you might. Right now, we essentially have something even greater than a monetary union. A monetary union is like the EU, where a bunch of countries get together and agree not only to have no barriers to labor capital within their borders, not only to establish common you know institutions and economic policy, but actually to have the same currency. You know, the United States, obviously, as one sovereign nation, is somewhat beyond that. But there are no barriers to trade, right, except for regulation by federal agencies if you go across state borders. I think, you know, so there, there's nothing to incentivize it, but it does nothing to disincentivize it from a free market perspective, right, which is essentially what, what you two want, you know, based on your worldview. I think what you'd see is certain states just, you know, if we end up with 10 different nations, the numbers would suggest based on the politics of some areas in the United States, right, that, that they might try to institute tariffs, right, and protect local manufacturing hubs, let's say, right? That's a very important political issue in some areas of the United States, let's say the Rust Belt, for instance. Um, the politicians at those now reduced states that are more concentrated politically is how, you know, relative to how we perceive them now, you know, would likely implement some kind of, of, of tariff, be it with other parts of the United States, the former United States or other countries. Um, and in doing so, I think you end up with, with more and more restrictions to free trade among the states just moving forward indefinitely in time. Well, I, I would agree with you there. I think it's actually quite likely that if we divide up into microstates, many regions of the U.S. will be actually more anti-economic than the current uh, U.S. government. Because if you just look on a worldview, the average country is far more anti-economic than the U.S. So it's qu actually quite likely that that would be the case. Um, but my point to that would be is there are bigger things at stake here which concern me at play here which is the pop the sort of populism we're seeing and um the increasingly violent rhetoric we we have to, or, or contempt we have for each other um and that's that's what concerns me actually far more than anything else it's yeah disagreeing about how to go about environment or whatever is is one thing that's not really if that was all we had to worry about i would say you know big big whoop america's got it pretty good this is not so bad um but what i am much more concerned with is how two people will look at the exact exact same video not edited no nothing and walk away with entirely different interpretations of what just happened they can't even agree on what factually just took place and that is what concerns me the most is I see this sort of divergent reality. And because of that, it's just all the more important to have your guys in the seat of power. It's it's you see people who are just incredibly emotionally invested in the results of the Senate election and the presidential election. And, and that's what's concerning to me is the stakes we're looking at here on an emotional level for people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just to I, I'd like to just. Um add one kind of crude example to that because so and this goes back to henry you mentioned um the kind of concept of um you know evidence-based or a collect like evidence-based based like ideas that a collective could provide where an individual might not um just consider like this paradox where if you have like a elderly grandpa and you want to help him not fall and not because he won't be able to get himself up. You say, I'm going to install cameras in every single room in your house. And you say, this is like, I can prove to you that this is going to help you because if you ever fall, I'm going to be able to see you and I'll be able to go and to come to your aid. And he says, no, I don't want cameras in my house. 
and, he, and you say, no, but trust me, this is, I'm telling you this is the right way to go because I can protect you in the event you ever fall down. And he says, I won't be happy with cameras in my house. You know, you can provide him all the evidence, but if he just doesn't want the help, you know, that's, you can't just write that off as like, oh, that's kind of immaterial. And like, so what Jeff is saying is just because you, you do know what the best economic or the best trade or the best policies will be for these people, if, the, if they don't want your help, you can't just write off the fact that they're not going to be happy. Like that's going to, they're, they're, the level of utility you're providing them, even though you proved has gone up, is actually gone down because you're not you're not accounting for the fact that they don't want your help. <laughs> sure. I guess one question though, and I I do like a lot of that point because I think surveillance is has become a big problem. We've been focusing a lot on the people who just like are want to opt out and don't want any help. Like, for, for lack of a better question, what about the people who both want and need help and continually show up at the polls with the explicit point of we need some help and yeah you can agree you you can disagree with them and say like look at the end of the day it's not up to the government to give you the help um but they are voting for these policies and electing representatives who are going to try to enact these policies and while you don't necessarily need a 300 million person country and the world's largest government to make that happen no government at all or such like minuscule government is likely not going to be able to get these people the help they need so essentially, how do you solve for people getting help in the, like, I mean, public schooling is a simple example. How do we make sure that, you know, public schooling is adequate for people who are voting to make sure that it improves? Well, the people that want that can organize and collectivize and create that for themselves. You know, if, if you don't want that, you just have to have an opportunity to leave. You know, so it's not saying that no one can have the, like, what what some consider to be the best form of government, call them a Democrat, and someone else could, could could have a completely different idea. Those Democrats could get together and have their own sovereign area where they can enact the policies that they all agree on and they're all happy enough to opt in. That's the key. If they all opt in, they want to continue with whatever is being, you know, the, the dominant policy, then they're, they're free to do that. But if you want to opt out, you got to be able to opt out. So I think giving people the, the complete free, un, you know, unabated ability to opt out creates an issue that's similar to what the Trump administration tried to do with, with public health care in the United States, right? Where you basically try to let it fail. I'm not saying this is what you're, what you're trying to do, right? But the idea was that you kind of let it fail by letting all the healthy people opt out and take lower health insurance rates somewhere else. The only people left in the system are the ones who need help a lot. Therefore, the, the you know, insurance has to be jacked up. The premiums have to be jacked up to let you know, that, that institution be solvent. Right, which makes the rates even higher for poor people who are sicker people, et cetera, et cetera. I think by allowing, you know, again, this is gets back to, to my, it's just a, a philosophical difference where I think that the government has a, a responsibility to be kind of forward looking and provide solutions that are you know, greater for the population on a whole, despite the micro, uh, you know, issues that causes, right? Which is like, I know, I agree where we differ, right? But my response to that is, is simply that um, by letting that happen, right, we're, we're essentially consigning all sick people to, to just receive you know, on a baseline level, worse healthcare than rich people, right? I stick with this example. Um, and I just, you know, morally, that's an issue for me. I understand that for some people, it's not. And so it, it might not be a solution there. I just, I want to respond to what Jeff said really quickly and to kind of pose another question. You know, I completely, I think you hit the nail on the head when it comes to like, you know, misinformation, the supply of it, but more importantly, the demand for it is maybe one of the big, maybe the biggest issue we have in this country. And you're, you nailed it with the video. I think it's such a terrible like, you know, problem we're facing as a country. I don't have a good solution for it. My question is, do you view it as more or less destructive to keep it within the family, as it were, all being the United States and try to work through it as a country and avoid a civil war? Or do you think it's better to just completely separate people off, right? And, and just have the individual, you know, group think, you know, collectives that this kind of, you know, where that will maybe reverberate more in the you know, country levels, you know, idea of an echo chamber. And one more point here is that the United States has a history of enforcing their moral principles on other nations via their military, right? So what happens if you have now a collection of Southern states that is, but you know, the entire one third of the US, it's like the Southeast and the South, right? Collectivizes as one. And then you have like fractured pockets of like liberal and, and moderate and you know, libertarian countries within the former United States. And these, these countries in the South decide um, it is morally long, wrong to allow people to abort fetuses. Um, and we are going to invade Delaware or drone Delaware unless they stop doing that, right? Um, you know, 
give 20 years in the future, if, if the people who think exactly the same way are all in the same country and not even having even the very small level of discourse and agreement that we have currently, does it, does it escalate to the point where ultimately you get armed conflict in an even worse way? Because now people don't even view themselves as Americans fighting Americans. There's not even that potential olive branch to offer. You just have, you know, different countries now that, that all fundamentally believe different things and are willing to use whatever power they might wield to enforce that on others. Now, is your uh, solution, real quick, is your solution to war in the Middle East, although most of that's our fault, but like, still, like, I'm talking about like, or actually, no, there's war in the Middle East, or, um, you know, Israel uh, and um, uh, I'm blanking, the uh, Israel-Palestine war. Um, like, is your, is, your, uh, sol- is your solution to that war to make them one state? So if it's not, then you're just reversing that as your argument in this case, right? You're saying if we break up, then there's more likely to be war. So is a solution to that war to just re, re-consume that into one nation? And if that's the case, then is that the solution to war in the Middle East? Well, I'm not suggesting that forcing two people who hate each other, you know, a large part, dislike each other greatly, right? To, to become one state is a good solution. Um, exactly. I was more posing the question. <laughs> but, 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 but that's a different scenario, right? Because we all are one state now. And, and all the people that raided the Capitol building on January 6th, you know, a lot of them were waving Trump flags, but a lot of them were waving American flags. So there's still some value to a lot of people on both sides of the aisle of, of considering themselves American. I think by just giving that up, you essentially waste some collectivized capital, right? Um, that they might be able one to be leveraged. If one, to, if one person's example of being a patriot is to own the libs and another person's <laughs> example of being a patriot is you know to bring health care to like poor republicans you know it's like those people aren't respecting each other i would i would i would disagree with your point i would say i, w- I would say those people aren't any member of any more members of the same nation than warring peoples over in the middle east sure but even if they think uh, they are i, I, I think, think i reject that a little bit i like i think that for the sake of being kind of somewhat pragmatic I don't think the U.S. has a situation comparable to Israel and Palestine, just based on historical context. I mean, the U.S. Yeah. has been in a better state than they've been basically forever. Um, I, I agree. So I, think, like, I, I hear the general point of, yeah, like, at what point do people need to hate each other so much to break them up? Because there is plenty of global precedent for it. Like, Sudan, I think maybe it was 10 years ago, broke up. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obviously the biggest example probably ever is the Soviet Union or modern history. But I, I just, I kind of reject the notion that the U.S. is at a point, as bad as things may be right now, I don't think there's, the U.S. is at a point as what extreme if someone, as those. And maybe what if easy. someone tells you that that's exactly what they want, though? <laughs> like you're saying that those people don't exist, but what if someone tells you to your face, I don't want your policies, I want to live my by myself by my own country. like yeah that person may not be willing to kill you but it's that that's a good thing you want to you want to address it now and you can have conversations with them and say hey i i think you you think you have the right policy i disagree i want to live by my you know i, I don't want you to to bother me you got to respect that person <clears throat> right and i want to touch on uh how you mentioned that you know since we're already one country but to me this is kind of an irrelevant distinction right so um, like you said, so, uh, you need healthy people to pay into the healthcare system for it to be solvent. Um, but there's more healthy people out there than just the healthy people in the United States. So do we have the same moral obligation to go to healthy people in other countries and get them to pay tribute into this, uh, healthcare system? Why does it stop at our borders? And the fact that we say, okay, we have these borders. We're not going to ask other people to, pay into our system because only we only ask our citizens to pay into that. Well, now imagine like we weren't a country to begin with. Let's say we, we I mean, which we weren't right. There was sep- there were the separate colonies um, that were distinctly separate. And do you now have a right to go to those other colonies and say, you know, we want to do this healthcare plan, but it's not solvent unless you help pay. in. so we're going to need some money for you. I don't think you have any right to go to those other nations and do that. So you're sort of just using the fact that we are one country to sort of justify this uh, reach into someone who doesn't want to participate, even though that's kind of an arbitrary distinction in terms of, yeah, they're in our country, not in our country, because that doesn't really seem relevant to me. 
I think maybe where we're coming out, which is slightly different, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, it's not, we're not using the argument that just because we're one country, that's why we need to do it. I think it's more of the current state of affairs is that we truly are one country, and we're now kind of brainstorming ways we could potentially break it up. So there actually is a comparison point rather than like kind of the hypothetical of if the U.S. didn't exist, then would establishing it now be practical? I'm kind of going from the opposite side of right. we do have this system and we do have this, call it national unity, I don't know, but going from that to something else, is that necessarily the way to go? Right. I, 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 right. My point, thank you, Jack, for, for I think, you know, expressing that in a, in a good way that, that my point is that you know we currently are the united states of america right there there i think most people would probably agree there there's some value that in americans all considering ourselves americans in the fight to prevent people from killing each other right at a very base level i, I think it's maybe helpful to recall you know when we we had the articles of confederation which which is much more closely aligned with maybe what you and john are looking for right and again the state's are also arbitrarily drawn and that might not be perfectly representative of people's you know, opinions and what they want, but it's much more of a loose confederation that, that can join together in times of stress for national defense, right? But the federal government didn't ability to tax, et cetera. And we moved from that, it worked in, in, in function kind of poorly enough that we ended up with a, you know, a quote unquote unanimous vote. I think it was actually like nine to zero out of 13 colonies. <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't like you know, fully attended at the constitutional convention, but we ended up with a unanimous vote um, for the Constitution. So we have kind of opted in. It wasn't like it was dictated to Georgia that you're joining the U.S., right? Because um, they did not vote against it. They had an opportunity for it, didn't, with their delegates. Now, I understand that the people of Georgia didn't do that. It's also, you know, 1787 at that point. Like, you know, people just weren't able to express opinions very effectively with, with you know, the technology of the time. But that's what happened. We, you know, at some point, either abstained or agreed to all join this stronger union with a more collective government, right? A, a more federalist kind of structure, um, and that's what we have today. I think it's very different to say we should join Palestine and Israel than it is to say maybe breaking up the United States into component parts makes people hate each other within the borders of the former United States more than it would to necessarily try to work through it as part of one country. That was my point. I'll grant you, let's say that everyone in Georgia even did, or not everyone, but like your point that there was a ch there was an opportunity to vote against it and no one did. Let's, okay, I'll grant you. Yeah, so maybe that was the best thing at the time. Everyone opted into that system. I would argue that that system is completely different than what we have today, just through, even though it's the same constitution, I would say the role of government has shifted massively. And also, those were our our fathers, 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 you know? <laughs> so why is that relevant to us? Like, we have to make our own decisions. Sure. I, no, I, I completely agree. I, I think it's it's a really, really always a really bad argument to say this is the way we've always done it. That's why we should do it. Totally. I know, agree. That's that's the <laughs> best. We all, we all I know we all have friends that think that way. Won't <laughs> <laughs> name names. That that settles every argument. This is how we always did it. If you're sure. a certain <laughs> kind of person that settles every argument, I would say that you know the the, the buy-in that we have is basically that we benefited in a lot of ways from from this. And I'm not saying that's a reason to keep it forever, but it's not like you know you people in the United States at least have had this forced upon them in a manner that, that disadvantaged them. I think on the whole, the federal government of the United States over time has, has provided, you know, at least within our borders, um, you know, development as opposed to rot. And, and it, it, it is it for advanced the lives of people more than it has hurt them. It's certainly a very imperfect institution. Um, but, but people have been, you know, any libertarian who founds a business that, that makes a ton of money benefits every day from the roads that its employees take to get to work from the public education system that like, educated those employees right from like a variety of, of, of services the government provides so it, it's fine to talk about you know the ways is imperfect and, and maybe how best to allow you know allow people to have a government that works for them the best but i think there has to be some recognition that essentially we've all collectively invested in this institution and you lose a lot of that investment by breaking it up. And there has to be some way for people that just opt out to like compensate for lack of a better term, right? The people who have been trying to, to make the system work on, on a grand scale, right? In order to, to just like say, okay, I, I took all that, you know, I got educated for free or, or like at a discounted rate, you know, I, I've used the services you provided the whole time. Now that I'm making money, I'm out, right? Cause that, I think everyone agrees it's an unsustainable system. There just has to be a way 
that you, I think that if you're proposing this, there has to be a way that, that you address that. Here, here's why I'll, I'll disagree with you on that one. Um, so for a long time in history, we had things called debtors prisons and indentured servants. So if you took out a debt and you couldn't pay it back, a long time ago we would put people in prison or we'd enslave them to the person they owed money to if they couldn't pay it back. Uh, we have since then realized that this is inhumane and not a good way of paying back debts. Um, and so what we can do now is you take out a debt and you can't pay it, you can default. And you walk away, you essentially just transferred wealth from that person because you took a loan, but there was this essentially unspoken agreement or contract, it could be spoken in a contract where it says, you know, I'm taking a risk and the compensation for my risk is interest. And if you don't pay it back, we, I lose, you know, you, you just got money from me for free basically. Um, and so there is this risk in giving out a loan. And I would say your comparison of, okay, the government has provided these things for you. They've educated you, given you infrastructure to accumulate wealth while you owe them a debt in a sense. But my uh, estimation would be to say, you owe me a debt and we're gonna come take it is kind of akin to the debtor's prison where you know you owe me this debt, I'm gonna lock you in a cage or I'm gonna enslave you because I provided this for you and you better pay me back. And I think it's immoral to, yes, I agree, you may owe the government a debt. But my whole point is I think enlightened people uh, would say, it's okay to default on debt. Um, it, you, don't, you don't deserve to be in chains just because you can't repay your debt. Um, and so that's what I would say to the, uh, that position. Yeah. And Henry, Sorry. real quick, I, I would, um, to respond to the point of um, <clears throat> how you're saying, you know, you can look at stuff that's verifiably true that the government has helped. It's like, okay, I'll give you that, right? Right. You can even prove it to a significant degree, which I don't even think you can, but let's just say you could. Prove it to a significant T-test, you know, Z-score. You know, um, it, it's like the government has helped your life for the whole time you've been alive, okay? If you tell that to a person and then they, and they say, but I don't want it, right? That's the key. That's the government, par that's the grandpa paradox I'm talking about. You have to, to listen to your grandpa and say, he doesn't want my help. He, so I have what to if let your grandfather, go. what if your grandfather's already signed over power of attorney to you? Like he, he you know, he's, he's 85, he's old. You, he needs someone to entrust with his well-being in the case that he's incapacitated. <laughs> and he signed the it over. Example is what if your grandfather has already been saved by this system? So I don't think like, cause John, I do hear your point. It is unfair or you can make the argument it is morally unfair to impose things on people that they don't want to. But I just, I, I think where Henry and I just fundamentally differ is I think one people don't always appreciate men just, just where they like, benefit. So people, some people do realize they have benefited. Like it's obvious to when you're driving on a road, like you know that's public infrastructure. I think there's just so many examples of you know federal aid to research and development that people just don't think about ever. Um, so if that's then, the yeah, case, I'm the saying if that's is, the case, the sorry, only way to if the, the only way at that point is to say, okay, you go do your own thing, and if I was right. You're gonna to want to come back, like that's the only. And then at that point, we can all be happily, and we're all opting in. It's it's all a positive relationship. Nothing is negative. Until the next generation. On, on right, but until the next generation that just comes to the same conclusion that you came to 40 years ago, in a situation where where the person who decides to leave was wrong, right, and they come back, I think it happens kind of over and over again. If there's an easy system to opt out, I just want to address just comment real quick, right? Because I, I think it's wrong and I agree with you to like have it be like a debtor's prison where you like force people to say because they, they're in debt, they can't pay it, whatever. I, I think we're talking, I was kind of addressing more of a system where you can just leave by your free will whenever you want. I think that encourages people to just leave without considering the consequences, right? Which is what causes those like overall deadweight losses to the system where people just opt out as is convenient for them. Then maybe 20 years later, they discover, oh, okay, actually this is bad, I want back in and just join again with no friction. I think that just it creates an unstable system. Um, I will also say this in terms of the advantage of the government, it's obviously impossible to estimate with one number, right? But you think about like the things that are provided by public service, like, like the fact that we can all turn on our taps across the United States and know for a fact this has been tested every single week 
maybe even every day by a water service and it's free to, it's available to drink is clean it might even be subsidized right by taxes on like amazon i mean amazon the big taxes taxes on some other company right like we take a lot of these for granted and i think you look to chile right and i know how familiar you guys are with, with what's happening in chile right now but chile was the golden child of the milton friedman like university of chicago economics everything was privatized resources were privatized water was privatized it ended up in the hands of big corporations that, that used it for short-term quarterly profits, right? Um, kind of used and abused the country's water resources, among others, um, to the point where if the government increasing taxes, or increasing the cost of metro rides in Santiago by 25 cents caused national riots to the point where they're now having a new national plebiscite to great, create a whole new constitution potentially in like April of this year or so, right? You just pushed people to the point where everything was so privatized that you had to like, there was a cost to every single thing that when, when it actually was revealed to people like, you know, you don't just pay taxes and you get these benefits and then you kind of like worry about the things that you still have to worry about. When you actually had companies come in and price, like a kind of profiteering and arbitraging away all like, you know, all kind of juicing all profit that could be extracted out of all these different parts of our lives that we take for granted in the United States, that created a fundamentally unstable system, which resulted in riots and a new plebiscite, right? Like, Chile was like the, the poster child for in like among investment firms, right? In the Western world of like stable debt, they're gonna be a developed country, right? Um, and it all kind of, you know, not all went to shit. It's still a lovely country and I'm sure many people still enjoy their lives there, but it's become fundamentally unstable in a lot of ways. I um, mean, that's affected well, the livelihoods of a lot of people there. I would say you one thing you don't uh, are probably not appreciating is actually how unstable I think our system is right now. Um, every year, the U.S. Treasury releases a financial report, and on the second page of it, it says we are on an unsustainable fiscal path, and this is not. This is going to collapse, and so we don't have a stable government. We have an illusion of stability, but the reality is we have this massive debt hanging overhead that we can't pay off, and the likely way out of it is inflation. Uh, you know. Just it's not it's not going to be pretty trying to get out of this this fiscal nightmare we're in. And so, I mean, it may seem like, oh, like, oh, yeah, the government's doing great. But like we're not looking at what they're sweeping under the rug when they're providing all these services to us, because it that if you look at the full picture, it's actually pretty ugly. And my point would be like the last time a really important nation uh, had a currency crisis. We got World War Two, so I mean, th there's a lot of danger to creating lots of economic instability, and that is a big threat to us. So I would say, you know, I don't know enough about uh, uh, Chile to, to to really kind of debate with you there, um, but I will say there is yes, there are a lot of people don't appreciate certain things about the government, but also a lot of people who do appreciate the government don't appreciate how much it's going into debt to do these things. And so I, I would push back there. To clarify, Henry, <laughs> uh, just so something you said uh, that people are just going to be coming and going frictionless. That's not, that's not what I'm suggesting. I'm saying if you don't want, if you don't like the government helping your water be clean every day, then you have to renounce your citizenship, which is a huge decision. And then you go off and then you find out, oh, wow, I really don't like drinking shit water every day. <laughs> and then you have to, and then it's now very hard for you to come back. Like, it's not just like, oh, willy nilly. Oh, now I'm going to undocumented immigrant come to take your clean water and, you know, Great. make so now you're my $15. Now you're, now you're a water refugee from the state of like <laughs> yeah. Washington with bountiful water resources. <laughs> yeah, but at that point, I'm, what I'm saying is you come back and you say, I, I I appreciate what you're doing now. I wasn't able to do it, but I thought I could do it better, and I did. I wasn't able to. You know what I mean? Sure. Other than that, you can't you can't tell somebody to like I said. Like I would even lend to you. Okay, let's assume that there's a significant degree to which the government is helping people, right? The people that don't like the government, you can't you can't prove to them. They've already said they don't like it. You know what I mean? Like you, what are you gonna say to them? Are you gonna put a? It's just oh, I just have to show one more study. One more statistically significant, you know, <laughs> put it, it's like, okay, now you see that, don't you agree now? And it's just like, if that person doesn't agree, like, why do you even want to keep helping them? They, they obviously don't want your help. So why so, do you want to help them? One more point. And Jack made a really good point earlier I want to return to, which is like, we, we keep focusing on the people that aren't happy with the status quo 
think, think about the people that are okay with it and might be getting kind of railroaded here, right? So now all of a sudden you have 20% of people leave, stop paying taxes. The people that are left now, you know, they're just left with less resources than they thought they'd have when they started planning capital improvement projects, right? When they, when the government made their budget for the next, you know, however many years, like those people are, are fundamentally disadvantaged in a way that they don't want to be. So now like the people that are choosing to leave because they felt that you know, they could, you know, figure out the water situation better in their own private well, right? With their own land that wasn't, in, you know, no one else was involved in. They have now like disadvantaged and hurt like the people that were left just because of their like, you know, ability to just leave without any, you know, compensation or, or acknowledgement of like, you know, the fact that they've been benefiting from this in the past. I'm not saying, you know, you need to charge those people money to, you know, X amount of money to leave. I'm just saying it does also disadvantage the people that were happy, which are also, you know, their opinions count equally as much in the situation where we're trying to have everyone feel as represented and, you know, you know, treated by their government well, you know, in an equal manner. Uh, I'd like to say that, like, um, you're right. It, by people opting out, they are disadvantaging other people. But they're also disadvantaging other people. If I just stopped doing my job, that would be disadvantaging other people. If everyone was just like, you know what, I don't like my job, I'm just going to be a fisherman. Our, like, economy would tank, right? And so people have the option to do what it is they want to do for work. And we all benefit from other people's labor, right? Because we trade with each other and that's positive sum. But that doesn't give me the right to say, you can't retire. Like, you can't just not give me Amazon. You can't, like, produce the, stop producing this. Like, I, I need this. It's, I don't have the right to tell someone to do that just because I'm benefiting from it. Um, like everyone always has the right to just go, no, I'm, I'm retired. I'm not, I'm not doing anything. If everyone just retired and lived off much less, then our standard of living would drop immensely, but they should have the right to, to do, make such a decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If your government capital project is, uh, is contingent on the assumption that you're going to have people to use it. I would say that's a cart before the horse. The government capital project should be with the assumption that people are going to want to use this. <laughs> like the, the result is that people want to use it, not the assumption is that people are going to use it. Yeah. I mean, I guess my like final points, and I'm kind of just summing up everything, so it's not going to respond to that specific thing, is that like at the end of the day, Henry and I are not going to argue that everything our government has done is good. That's beyond a ridiculous assumption. Um, <laughs> what we're simply saying is that at the end of the day, no matter any level of state or government, there's always going to still be someone who wants less of it. Unless it fully doesn't exist, someone is going to want less of it. And I don't believe we can just have a world of a massive percent of just like stateless people. And so I'm arguing that there is some line somewhere where we need people to buy into some level of society. And I don't, I'm not going to argue where exactly that line should be, but I just, I'm confident that that line does exist somewhere. And yeah, there is going to be a small handful of people who still feel that that line is too far for them. And I think like the unfortunate truth is that like there's that those people are just gonna have to like, you know, learn to deal with it for better or worse. And whether it's limiting the role of government, which I think has there are many pros to that. I think at the end of the day, like some level of statehood is always going to be necessary just for the sake of, you know, the common good. And I think we agree on that. And I think you did a really good job wrapping that up. I won't kind of talk about it further in the interest of kind of, you know, upholding my reputation as a straight shooter, respected on all sides of the political aisle, um, racing debate. I will say that today, this is really, I think, made me think more about because I, I, as a, a white guy, you know, who exists in the United States in 2020. the race like, car. I have been, I have been super happy with the role that, what you know that what I've been receiving from the people around me, from the government around me, for the vast majority of my life, having me consider, I think, the viewpoint of someone who doesn't appreciate what the government's doing, kind of at every level, and just feels like kind of helpless in the face of this monstrous, huge government. With really, you know, like you said, there's no real way out. Right? You could apply for you know citizenship somewhere else, you might not get it. Like your point about there not being options, and people not liking it, and not having any kind of recourse is well taken. And I think something I had to consider as much as I maybe should have previously. So I do appreciate that. Um, and I just want to like, you know, I, I, I've certainly taken it in that new perspective. Agreed. All right. Um, in closing for us, I think 
our main point is that you guys are big dumb and you just publicly embarrassed yourselves. Um, and that's all the record. Basically, the takeaway here. No, but um, yeah, no, I think this is a really good conversation. Um, I, I think people are going to get a lot out of this from listening to it. Um, and yeah, we, I think we'd love to have you guys on again because I feel like we can keep going, but we're already coming up on an hour and Dale's giving us the, <laughs> the signal to kind of wrap up. That's right. Maybe yeah, next I, time I, we could do... Henry, in response to you, I would, I would say, um, yeah, I, I definitely need to... Because uh, a lot of the stuff is, by nature, um, almost unprovable, because it's kind of just like we're, you know, we're stating philosophical claims. And so when you come up with the like, example of like Chile, where I don't actually know a lot about that case, it tells me that like in my in my mind I'm like oh well something is is not right about that you know something is different from this assumption that there's actually free markets is just like what runs in my head which isn't the right thing to do I have to it makes me think to I have to go research that example more and and maybe find out what um, is the role of government or what have been the government in that scenario that might have saved some uh, economic disparity. Um, because, you know, it's, it's nothing to just pontificate. You got to actually have examples of, of, uh, your, your idea working. So thank you for bringing that to my attention. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, just for the record, I obviously had 20 pages of, of source material and citations that I just, I <laughs> forgot it. I didn't bring it. So next time I'll, 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 I'll bring that to back up my, my well-researched argument. Um, and maybe we can do a, a listener hate mail section next time if you guys get any uh, angry emails about us. <laughs> I mean, basically most of our hate mail comes from you guys, so. I, mean. <laughs> so I do hate you. <laughs> so, <laughs> I had to bring you guys on directly to talk to, talk to Beef out. <laughs> so, Dale, what do you think? Do you, is there anything else that you think needs to be addressed, or do you, do you think that there's any kind of uh, anything else that you want to hear from who, us? Who, who won? And remember who pays <laughs> Who won? Who's best? Maybe <laughs> shit. I, I thought that was a great conversation. I, I learned a lot from both sides of that. Um, I think we could continue on for a long time. I would like to you know, hear some arguments about how you think some sort of secession would actually play out, like best case scenario, if, there, if there's a way that that could actually happen without serious violence uh, ensuing. I don't know that that's possible, but um, it's probably like we could spend a whole other hour going down that that uh, rabbit hole but yeah i thought this was awesome thanks for coming on guys yeah, yeah thanks for having us thank you for having us thanks for doing this you get a sponsor you can pay me for this <laughs> <laughs>